Hi, welcome to Donna's Intermittent Fasting Broadcast uh, podcast as well as a video cast. I'm so happy that you joined me today. I'm sorry that it has taken me so long to get back with you about sleep. I started on the sleep tangent uh, the first of the year, ready to do one episode on sleep. I know I talk about sleep a lot, and it's a part of my um, calories in, calories out game. Also, it's one of the 11 factors that affect uh, calories, weight gain, inch gain, inch weight, weight, inch and weight loss and gain, inch loss and gain, and cravings and appetite. So, um, but uh, I got crazy on it as I sometimes do, and just started geeking out on all of this information. <laughs> and I finally just had to stop the madness today and just say, I'm going live. I am talking about this today um, because it was just really honestly out of control. So, <laughs> so um, what I ended up with, though, is um, I don't know if you guys know much about word count or anything like that, but, you know, like an average like an average small fasting book or medium fasting book might have like, I don't even know, 25 or 30,000 words in it. And I had 5,000 words in an outline alone. So don't worry, I'm not going to bring it all to you today. So I'm dividing it up. So today's uh, episode is about the impact of sleep. Uh, what causes sleep, um, uh, the uh, benefits of adequate sleep and the detriments of inadequate sleep. And then uh, next week will be uh, how to overcome insomnia and how to get better sleep and longer sleep and deeper sleep. And then the third one about the brain and sleep, I'm going to do that another time because I have so much information for you that I've been studying also about metabolism and uh, brain and appetite and cravings and um, just just it's just a good time to study this these things because it's all at our fingertips um takes time but it is all available so without further ado i bring you the impact of sleep today in broadcast number 40. Um, i am donna reach by the way uh at donnareach.com and also at the intermittent fasting webinar and the intermittent fasting course so um First of all, our story, I always like to start with our story because this actually started out as a journal. And then uh, as time went on and I started learning more and learning more, I decided, you know, to uh, go back to the teacher in me and uh, just really start teaching uh, people what I am learning and how to apply these things to their own life for their own weight management as well as health. So um, we have been intermittent fasting, I say we, my husband and I, uh, Ray Baby, as I like to call him, for over a year, and um, we actually had a stall recently, and um, I don't worry about stalls as much anymore um, because I know with my strength training and with my um, toning and so forth that I'm building muscle. I also know, I also, and you can learn this in my episode about four metrics, I believe it's called four metrics, about different things that you should measure. And I also know from my study of metrics and what we should be measuring when it comes to weight management is, um, you know, I know that as long as my goal pants keep fitting and I keep putting a new pair up and keep getting another, keep getting the other pair down and wearing that and putting another pair up, that weight is not such an issue. But 
Um, there are a lot of people for whom weight is very, very important, and I realize that. Um, but for us, um, a stall for uh, a stall for me after a year of intermittent fasting and being um, now 17 pounds from my goal weight uh, wasn't that big of a deal. Um, but uh, like I said, I have other metrics that I use as well, and um, some exciting new metrics for. Um, my waist and abdomen, which are really my trouble spots. So I was really happy about that. But we had been stalled. We had a no, an end of October wedding, a November 10-day uh, family vacation for 18 of us. And then, of course, Thanksgiving and Christmas and so forth. So um, my goal, you know, wasn't necessarily to lose weight over the holidays. Um, so uh, being stalled didn't feel that big of a deal to me. Um, but... Again, there's no reason to ever go off and on this lifestyle. So I hope that light's okay. It seems a little bright. There's no reason to go off and on this lifestyle. And, um, of course, when you have some festivities and things like that, that's one of the benefits of intermittent fasting is giving you that wiggle room. Uh, you know, tonight we have a birthday party for two grandkids. There will be cake. There will be pizza. And that's not what we typically eat. But that is what we're eating tonight. And so you, we do have that wiggle room, um, and in part because of appetite correction, which makes it easier to get back to your healthy choices after holidays and festivities. Um, and, of course, the smaller eating window, which yields, um, you know, whether you're doing 16-8, you know, 18-6, 17 7, 18-6, I already said that, 19-5, uh, 24, 23-1, whatever you might be doing. Um, that eating window keeps us from that mindless eating, the calories that we would have all morning long. And if we fast, like my fast usually ends at 6 p.m., what we would have from 6 to 9 or 10 or 11, all of those calories, all of that food that we are not consuming anymore. So um, it's really there's really no reason to ever go off and on of intermittent fasting. Uh, also, we have both been learning. I'm going to turn this off. We've both been learning a lot maybe. Sorry about that. We've both been learning a lot about our environment. Well, I've been learning a lot in teaching and telling it to him because he doesn't have time to read like um, and listen like I do uh, since this is my part of my job. <laughs> so anyway, um, my favorite book right now is Stephen uh, Stephen Guinea's Hungry Brain. And um, I've been binge listening to him on YouTube and learning a lot. Turns out, first of all, that the old-fashioned advice that we used to get from Mama uh, to not have certain foods around were correct, right? Sometimes you just got to go back to the old-fashioned ways, right? Sometimes those things that we thought of as being too easy, and too simplified and too old school are actually what uh, we really, really need. Uh, and also creating barriers by not having the foods that cause you, that are either trigger foods for us, that cause us to uh, overconsume, cause us to eat too much in our, our eating window, and that actually cause us not to lose weight. Um, not to lose inches and cause us to overeat, uh, we can create barriers to those foods, which will help us in the long run. And one of those barriers is not having them at home. 
And so we've just taken this a step further. And I think that this might really help people who are, who have been fasting for a while and aren't losing weight anymore, or who I feel like they're just eating, you know, so many uh, calorie dense foods during their eating window. The, the thing is that we eat a certain way when we're at home. And we don't have a lot of those foods in our home. I always have peanut M&M's someplace. I always have that. Um, but I don't, we seldom have a food that I call as my trifecto. My trifecto is, come to find out, it's a thing. I made it up. I thought I made it up. Um, I thought, you know, wow, this is really something that, that, cow, that sugar, flour, and fat will do this to me. Okay, whatever this might be, it will trigger me. It will cause me to not be able to stay uh, within my uh, within what I need to eat during my eating window. These kind of foods cause me to overeat. And in my mind, I just started this whole thing where I can't have trifectos at home. I can't have those foods at home. Those foods for me are, you know, pastries, cookies, cupcakes, cake. Um, uh, pie, donuts, those type of things. Again, those three items, those three foods, um, flour, sugar, and fat. And then I read The Hungry Brain. Come to find out it's a thing. They're actually five foods. And the combinations of those five foods will can cause us to be triggered, can cause us to overeat. So I have personally, before I ever read Hungry Brain, I was like, no more trifecta foods at home, okay? When I get snacks for the grandkids, I get just like vanilla wafers, or you know, when I get sweet snacks, I get vanilla wafers, animal crackers, those type of things, graham crackers, not anything that is the trifecta, because those things only have sugar and flour, they don't have fat to speak of. And um, come to find out it's a thing. How cool is that? And um, and what I what I guess for myself, what I thought was happening to me is a real thing. And it really does have an impact on our eating. So I'm going to be teaching a lot more about that in the future because I'm devouring this information. Uh, the brain, the, the book is, I'm a little slower on the book um, because it takes a lot of concentration because it's so research-based. I've, I've never seen a book that is so research-based um, and so balanced. Uh, that's another thing I've never seen, a research-based book that's so balanced. <laughs> so, um, you know, who really, the, a, a research that just really leaves it open like this could be, you know, not it's this way or else. So it's it's super compelling. Um, anyway, so I'll be bringing you more of that. So at home, you know, we create barriers. We create barriers by not having my trifectos here, uh, by not having anything that would trigger Ray. You know, we don't have like potato chips or things like a man might get into to eat. Um, you know, we, and so we eat a certain way at home and then we eat however we want when we go out or when the kids come over and we have a party or like tonight in our grandbaby's birthday party and we don't worry about it. So anyway, I think that, that those of you who are having trouble or stalled or been doing this for a while and kind of not losing anymore, uh, that might be the key. So you might want to uh, try that. Um, so uh, both of us are working on our next goals for uh, us for weight. Uh, his next five pound goal will take him to 90 pounds total. And my next five pound goal will take me to 30 since I've been intermittent fasting and 90 over the last several years. So, um, 
getting close. Uh, I think he has 20, 24 pounds and I have 17. So uh, definitely getting close. Um, and also my weight loss has really slowed since I started adding strength training. But I also, and this is some of the stuff I'm going to be bringing in the future, I also know that building muscle is what's going to make me a, cal a higher calorie burner in the future. So, um, I'm again, that's not a concern. So inch-wise inch and size-wise, he is in 38s and larges, and um, that was from a 2X and, an, and a 48. So that was really exciting. And I got into my 10s. I was definitely wearing mostly 14s when I started intermittent fasting over a year ago. And now I'm wearing my 10s, and I have my next gold pants size eight on the door. And then I just got a very, very cool pair of jeans in size eight. So um, that's pretty small. <laughs> single, single digits are really small. Did you know that? I was surprised. So anyway, um, that's fine. I uh, definitely um, have confessed the eights. Just can't breathe. So I think that breathing is probably pretty important. So I won't be wearing those yet. So, okay, so let's move right into sleep now that we've covered <laughs> kind of a little tangent there on what I've been studying and what we've been doing. So um, I'm so excited to bring this information to you about sleep today, but also about the in the future about metabolism and cravings and trigger foods and all of these things because I didn't know these things. And and I figure if I didn't know them and, you know, I studied, I mean, I had some nutrition and I had psych and ed psych and all that, you know, in six years of college. And um, I also have been a 40 year dieter. So, you know, I've studied the low fat, I've studied the low carb, I've studied the, the separating carbs and fats, I studied the keto, and yet a lot of this stuff I did not know. So I figure if I don't know it, then other people don't know it as well. So if I can present it and bring that to people in an easily understood format, um, you know, and keep you guys from having to do all that research and everything, then that will really help other people too. So, and that excites me very, very much. All right, so general sleep, um, you know, it's again goes back to that whole thing, you know, mama knew best, get your sleep, get your sleep. You know, it's like uh, we didn't know the huge impact on our weight, on our metabolism, on cravings, on appetite, um, on mood, on stress. Oh, my word, it's so remarkable, which is why it actually ended up being like 5,000 words of outline. So that's why I had to divide it up, as I mentioned. So seven to nine hours a night is what we really need. And, you know, there's a funny thing about sleep. And it's kind of, um, it, it, it's, it feels many times that we use lack of sleep as a badge of honor, where we'll say, you know, well, I haven't slept under five hours in 20 years, you know, or whatever. And it, it's like we're proud of that. And we think that we just accomplished something. And come to find out, we should not be bragging about not sleeping. As a matter of fact, it takes Tremendous self-discipline. I'm right. I'm making a fast shot uh, in the next few days about that. Why is it so hard to discipline ourselves to sleep? You want know, to sleep is such a beautiful thing, and it feels so good. But yet, it is really difficult to discipline ourselves to sleep properly and in a way that has a positive effect on our health. 
So no more badges of honor for not sleeping. You know, I know mamas don't get much sleep and they can't help it. But the rest of us do not need any badges of honor for not sleeping. We do not need any rewards because we went without sleep or any accolades because we are so tough. Because come to find out we're not nearly as tough as we think we are. That even if we don't feel that sleeping, we're still having many, many negative effects from not sleeping. So no more badges of honor for not sleeping. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 35% of people are sleep deprived. Now, I talked about this in in with other things and other broadcasts, and I and I gave that statistic before. Now statistics surprise me because I feel like people all the time are talking about how they don't sleep. So I did I was surprised it wasn't actually higher. Um, another study showed 29% of adult Americans get six hours or fewer per night. So that would be a third sleeping six hours or under. So a third of almost a third, uh, just under a third of um, Americans uh, sleeping, of adult Americans sleeping six hours or fewer. Now this uh, was up from 22% in 1985. So um, we can see that we have just, you know, continued to go down that, you know, working longer, you know, um, and then also just there's a huge impact that I've been reading about um, in the hungry brain on, um, electronics and sleep um and then there's you know just the whole idea of making ourselves go to bed and go to sleep at a decent time uh when we have children all day and we finally have some time without them so it's it's not easy there's nothing easy about it uh it also should be noted that you don't want to sleep over nine hours so seven to nine is the ideal window but over nine hours is um off over for people over 18 teenagers can vary right we all know teens can sleep sleep they feel like they sleep their lives away but a lot of times it's just because they stay up so late right i've had 17 so um i know all about that <laughs> but over the age of 18 over nine hours can result in depression or can be a sign of depression um so, you know, we don't want to go the other way either. All right. Now, the brain has a huge effect on sleep. And I kind of studied this and trying to pronounce all the words. I am the biphonic woman, but some of these words are not even American. So, um, or they have Latin or Greek uh, roots that I don't know how to pronounce. So, anyway, uh, the brain does have a huge effect on sleep. And the reason I want to, to sh point this out is because um, it is that kind of laziness, kind of, a lounging kind of approach. I'm not talking about people who are ill or you know need to rest, but that kind of in between when we're not awake but we're not asleep either. That's really not good for us, and so we need to understand what what happens when we sleep. So here we go. Uh, first of all, we have the brain contains an arousal system that creates wakefulness and alertness, and uh, there are a lot of brain uh, regions included in this. Uh, and then these regions send a broad network of fibers throughout much of the brain, and then they release, release all kinds of chemicals, some of which we've heard of, like dopamine and uh, norepinephrine and acetylcholine. I listened to it online like five times. Acetylcholine. And these chemicals keep us awake. Those are like our, our, our arousal, our arousal uh, chemicals uh, during the arousal time. And then we have a sleep center in the hypothalamus, and this sends signals to the arousal system to shut down. 
Now that's important to note when we're talking about what keeps what causes insomnia. It's also important to note when it talk when we're talking about um, like overnapping and things like that. So I'll get to that. So that hypothalamus, that sleep center in the hypothalamus, sends signals to the arousal system to shut down. And uh, one of the things that I read about this was talking about this engineer who said, oh, it's like off and on. And the researchers were like, yeah, it's supposed to be off or on, but it's not always. And we cause that to happen. And I'll tell you how in just a minute. So the arousal system and the sleep center work opposite of each other. So when one is active, the other one is down and vice versa. And that's how we want it to be because that is going to result in our, um, our, our arousal time being, you know, more alert and feeling good and our um, sleep time being more um, valuable sleep and more uh, real sleep, uh, deep sleeper. Uh, so we have to have a strong signal to kick in and out of these, uh, these states. So when we're awake, the longer we're awake, the harder we work, the more we exert ourselves, um, the, the more, the, the better the sleep inducing symbols, signals will work. So that's where that whole idea of, you know, too much lounging, too much napping, not enough activity actually has an effect on our falling asleep because this uh, sleep signal, these sleep signals are not as strong when we are too, um, too, when we don't have enough activity. And that's why also, you know, we see seniors, senior citizens a lot of times, you know, I know, uh, you know, my dad would just fall asleep in the chair all the time, you know, and he then he couldn't sleep at night and he wasn't able to be as active. It wasn't his fault. He wasn't able to be as active. And so his sleep signals were not exactly like off on, off on, like nighttime, daytime, like we need for them to be. Um, and of course, we thwart this system. Um, you know, people who can't help it, like this, like elderly or sick people or whatever, they thwart it. It's not their faults. But we often thwart it ourselves. Those of us who are healthy with caffeine, blue light too little activity, staying in a slow state like laziness, sleeping too much during the day so that the signal is not perceived as off and on. All right, so what happens when we sleep? Um, there are a whole bunch of things that I'm going to be bringing to you that happens when we sleep that are affect, that affect our health, right? Uh, as far as we're interested in here in weight management. But also, it's important to note what happens uh, as far as cleaning out waste products. And um, this makes so much sense when you see people who don't sleep enough and they always get everything that goes around. Have you ever seen somebody who just, you know, they're shift workers or they stay up too late and all, all the time they're always staying up late, um, and then they have to go up and go to work the next morning and so forth. And they, they're sick a lot. And this makes sense when you consider that the, when we sleep, the brain clears out waste products that accumulate during the day. And it also mops up this protein that is implicated in the development of Alzheimer's disease. Now, you know, I'm not a researcher and I'm not saying, you know, that uh, our lack of sleep causes Alzheimer's. But it is important to note that's one of the things that happens when we're in a deep sleep is this mopping up of this protein that uh, can cause cognitive dysfunctions. Uh, and, of course, the restorative, restorative processes happen during sleep uh, that are really important for the brain. And I got a whole uh, broadcast on the brain because it was too long for this. So, um, And it was really, really fascinating because I'm all about creating. I'm all about cognitive 
you know, cognitive abilities and things like that as a teacher and as a creator. So anyway, all right. So food and sleep cycles. It's interesting that uh, some people actually have insomnia when they start intermittent fasting. And so, you know, I like to tell them you stay in there, stick with it, don't give up because that, that insomnia is very, very short lived because you can turn those circadian rhythms around. So circadian rhythm is a word, is a phrase that we've heard. Um, you know, we hear that a lot. Well, that's, you know, hurting our circadian rhythms. We don't really know what we're saying. We just say that because we want to sound smart. So anyway, uh, but here's what the circadian rhythm is. 37 trillion. I can't even write that number. I always have to go like, comma, thousand, dot, 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 comma, million, dot, 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 comma, billion. I don't even know how to write 37 trillion. Okay, anyway, 37, I'm a language arts teacher, not a math teacher. 37 trillion tiny molecule timepieces are in our cells, and they synchronize many of the body's function within the 24-hour cycle of the sun. So we all know that our sleep has something to do with the sun, and that's why you hear people who like live in Alaska and it's dark all the time, or part of the time I think it's daylight all the time, and you know they're just they're just you know having a really really rough time. We change time zones, we have a rough time. We go into summer and it doesn't get dark until nine or nine thirty. We have a hard time. We have a hard time getting our kids down during that time. So we know that there is a process that happens uh, with the sun. And so that is what the circadian rhythm is. It's these little time pieces all working together within a 24-hour cycle of the sun. Um, in Hungry Brain, I want to quote him because I didn't know how to really sum this up as well as he said it. Our sleeping and waking cycle tends to follow a circadian rhythm. And so do our cognitive performance, eating behaviors, digestive functions, metabolic processes, and many other aspects of our behavior and physiology. So we think of circadian rhythms, we think of the sun, we think of sleeping, but we don't realize that all of these things are affected. Our cognitive function, our metabolic processes, our digestive system, they are all affected by our circadian rhythms. And so you can see what a huge effect the the main part of that the sun the sleep what effect that would have on us a master clock tells these 37 trillion cellular clocks when to do what and so this is in the hypothalamus and it is the orchestra leader of all of these tiny cell clocks and it all starts with the sun right in darkness the sun and darkness I can remember when we first moved to, up to this area, because we used to live in Union City, Indiana, our whole lives, a little teeny town down there on the Indiana Ohio line, and we moved up to Burn, Indiana, and our neighbors were Amish, and we became friends with them and so forth, and I can remember being at their house in the evenings, and in the winter, you know, it would just it'd get dark at 5 o'clock, 5.30, and they would light their kerosene lamps, and I was like, they either have to, like, play a game that you can hardly see you know, or read and hold the kerosene lamp, you know, right here beside you and hope you can read or they just go to sleep, right? And that's why, you know, people who do not have electricity, they are more apt to sleep with the sun, uh, sunrise and sunset. Um, so this circadian rhythm, you know, it functions with the sun, with the darkness, and all of our cognitive functions are being, all 37 trillion of those cells are being led by this orchestra by this big one. I don't know the name of it. I didn't write it down because I knew it was too hard to pronounce. And also I have so much info. I don't want to overload you. And they have this conductor that uh, conducts the whole orchestra of the circadian rhythm. And then we have what's called circadian disruption. 
And that is when we are disrupting that 24-hour cycle. And that is when we get into all kinds of trouble with mood, with lethargy, with the uh, inability to function, with extreme fatigue, with hunger, with uh, cravings, with increased appetite, with decreased metabolic processes and so forth. And that is where I'm going to head now. So benefits. When we sleep well, when we have those seven to nine hours, um, we will have fewer cravings. And I have a bunch of studies for all this, but we'll have fewer cravings. We will have a boost in metabolism. And, you know, I often say intermittent fasting is something that we can do um, that boosts our metabolism, causes us to lose weight, helps us with disease prevention, and we don't have to do anything. You probably heard me say that, right? And how wonderful is it that we get to do nothing and get benefits, right? Because everything is so dependent on us being perfect. You know, we have to do everything just so. And then we'll have health, and then we'll have wellness, and then we'll have a good physique, and then we'll have this and that. But with intermittent fasting, you do nothing and you get something. How cool is that? When do we ever get something that great for nothing, right? Well, the same thing is true with sleep. That's why I love it, because we can do nothing but sleep and still get tons and tons and tons of benefits. And, you know, as a homeschooling mom for 32 years, I had to do all this stuff all the time. And business owner and author and all these things, I'm always, I have to do all the time. Do, do, do. From the moment I wake up until 9 or 10 at night, I do, do, do. Sleeping and fasting are two things that where we do nothing and we get huge benefits. How cool is that for those of us who have to do too much, right? All of us, we all have to do too much. All right, so it gives us better insulin sensitivity. And we know that the opposite of insulin sensitivity is, um, is prediabetes, diabetes, metabolic dysfunction, that type of thing, where we are not being sensitive to insulin. So we don't, uh, we don't hear its signals. So the body releases more and more and more. The more insulin, the more fat storage. So uh, with sleep, we get better insulin sensitivity, uh, more regulation of hunger hormones. So our ghrelin is going to speak more clearly. And um, uh, we're going to learn how to tame it because that's one of the things that happens through intermittent fasting is that we're training our ghrelin. So we're going to learn how to train it. And we're also going to hear leptin better. Leptin is when you're full. It's going to tell you you're full or going to tell you you don't need any more food. Way less stress hormone. The stress hormone of cortisol is astronomically released when we don't sleep enough. So if you are short on sleep consistently, you might find yourself craving all the time. You might find yourself overeating. And you also might find yourself at a high stress level. And it is because as we do not sleep enough, as we deprive ourselves of sleep, our cortisol, cortisol levels can reach really, really high. Uh, they can have some really, really high spikes. Uh, and that will cause us to be more stressed. All right, another thing is an increase in human growth hormone. And I've talked about this in terms of uh, fasting, that human growth hormone is also increased through intermittent fasting. And we want human growth hormone because we want to um, 
burn more calories. We want to increase our muscle and so forth. And all of that comes through human growth hormone. So human growth hormone is also released better during better sleep. Again, human growth hormone from two things that we don't do anything, right? So uh, sleep gives us more release of human growth hormone. And again, that helps us to create muscle, burn calories. And human growth hormone is released during deep, long sleep between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. So, um, you know, having that choppy sleep, you know, that waking up and not being able to fall back to sleep, uh, that type of thing is going to inhibit this release of human growth hormone. Now, human growth hormone is the opposite of cortisol. So when we have high human growth hormone, that means we have lowered cortisol. And we want lower cortisol, less stress, and higher human growth hormone for that calorie burning, muscle creation, and so forth. All right, now when we do not have enough sleep, and again, I like I mentioned before, I have this divided out. I have a whole brain episode in a few weeks, um, but right now, brain and intermittent fasting and sleeping, but right now I wanna talk about metabolism and appetite and some of these things as related to uh, less sleep. So inadequate sleep has been shown in study after study to negatively affect weight management. I also mentioned before that I have an upcoming episode on research and really just how do you how do you listen to YouTube videos? How do you read books? How do you read articles? How do you watch the Today Show? Is that is that a thing the Today Show? Is that like a morning show? I think it's called the Today Show. Anyway, I don't watch talk shows, but you know on those talk shows when they have these little blurbs you know, where they say, you know, red wine, drinking a glass of red wine is the same as running for an hour a day. And everybody's like, ah, I can drink red wine and it will help me just as much as running and so forth. How do we hear all of these things and interpret them when they all are based on science and they're all based on research and when they're so conflicting? So I'm going to, that's a whole nother episode. But the reason I bring it up right here is because one of the ways that we can be more in tune and more confident in in seeing research and hearing about it and listening to it and reading it and knowing that it's real um, when it comes to health and weight management and things is that we will have um, it'll have repeated studies like it'll say over and over and over again these things it won't just be isolated studies like the red wine is the same as running and it won't be inconsistent where like one study shows sleep has a huge effect. The next study shows sleeping five hours has no effect. Okay. It won't be like that. It'll be consistent. And that is one of the things that has really struck me about sleep is that it's one of those things that truly is consistently uh, shown to have a huge impact on weight. So it isn't just isolated studies. It's it's really real. So uh, here are a few of those studies. First of all, uh, sleeping six hours or fewer. I mentioned a little bit ago about ghrelin, which tells us that we're hungry and how intermittent fasting helps us train ghrelin. There's a reason why people can do intermittent fasting, right? After three or four weeks, people are able to do intermittent fasting without hunger before 16, 18 hours easily. There's a reason for that, right? And it's because your ghrelin is trained throughout the intermittent fasting process, right? And then leptin is a satiation hormone, satiation being uh, full, 
Okay, not satisfied, which is another topic I'm going to talk about in the future. Um, I have too many things. Uh, so anyway, uh, satiation. So sleeping six hours or fewer affects these two hormones in a bad way for us trying to uh, control ourselves with weight. So sleeping six hours results in lower leptin, right? We have two problems with leptin. Sometimes it's too low, meaning it's not telling us you're full, you're full, you've had enough, you've had enough, you have enough fat on you, stop eating, okay? It can be too low or it can be high, but we cannot hear it. And that's uh, leptin insensitivity, right? Um, or um, uh, kind of like in insulin insensitivity. We don't hear it. So studies show that sleeping under six hours results in lower leptin, higher ghrelin, which is, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, my stomach's growling. That's in the stomach. That's released from the stomach. So it's actually affected by food in there. And then a distinct trigger in the brain that requires more food. Six hours or fewer. Uh, one study showed that just sleeping one to two hours less caused a 24 to 30% increase in hunger. So again, this is something that all we have to do is get ourselves on a good sleeping schedule. That's all we have to do to correct this. I mean, these are, these are big numbers. You stop and think that um, an hour of cardio burns, let's say you're pretty good at cardio. So let's say that you are burning 400 calories on an elliptical or something like that, um, or um, a, a walk jog, all right? So you burn 400 calories in one hour, all right? 400 calories out of a 2,000 calorie diet is 20%. Is 20%. You can sleep this extra hour or two above six hours and have a 24 to 30% decrease in hunger, or if you don't, have a 24 to 30% increase in hunger. And it's worth more than an hour of low cardio. I mean, that is significant. And all we have to do is sleep. Now, that's easier said than done. That's why this is a two-part broadcast. Next week, I'm going to be talking about sleep. But it's just phenomenal when we think about the things that we'll do. We'll drink vinegar. We'll eat ginger. We'll take Epsom salt baths. We'll put hot sauce on our tongues. We will take supplements, right? I'm a big supplement taker. We will do an hour of cardio. We will eat fat bombs. We'll eat coconut oil straight up to try to get a thermogenic effect from it. Lots of little teeny things that do not add up to this one thing when you put them all together. I mean, it's phenomenal. It really is. All right, so another study showed that people who regularly sleep fewer than seven hours have 26% more hunger than those who sleep closer to eight. I really, really shoot for seven and a half, but I'm trying to get up to eight. It's really, it's hard, you know, it's hard for all of us. It's hard for all of us to go to bed at a time that allots us on the other end to get that seven and a half or eight hours. So be sure you tune in to broadcast number 41 next week because I'm going to cut, I'm going to, I'm going to give you so many helps to get your sleep under control. All right, a decrease in fat loss. So we have this problem about hunger, ghrelin and leptin severely affected by too little sleep. Then we also have another uh, 
problem, and that is fat loss is decreased when we don't sleep enough. So uh, they the one study um, was on obese women at a, the same caloric intake, and this study, just in terms of talking about studies again, was done in a center, which is super important uh, because there was a lot more control in the study. And uh, th these obese women were at the same caloric intake, and they were losing fat. Right, that's our goal, losing fat. We don't want to lose muscle. All right, so th they were uh, losing fat until they divided the groups in two and reduced the sleep of the second half, uh, the second group. The sleep-deprived group had half the fat loss from that point on as the other one with no other caloric or, um, or energy, caloric uh, controlling or energy expending. I mean, half the fat loss with the same number of calories, the same amount of exercise, and the only thing that was changed was sleep. I mean, that is phenomenal. And it's another reason why, um, while I do believe in SECO, calories in, calories out, I believe that there's a basis for our bodies that we take a certain number of calories. I believe that. And I think that most everybody does, even people who say they don't control their calories in some way. Everything that everybody does to lose weight is to control their intake. <laughs> so whether we're doing our fasting window, making it shorter, we're controlling our intake. Whether we're going on low carb, we're controlling our intake. Vegan, we're controlling our intake. Low calorie, we're controlling our intake. Low fat, controlling our intake. No more processed foods, we're controlling our intake. No more um, uh, fat, we're controlling our intake. Whatever we're doing, we're controlling our intake. Everybody's doing it in some way, right? Just depends on what your choice of method is and which one you can do forever because you have to get to the number of calories that you really need to maintain your, um, your goal weight. And you can, of course, boost it by sleeping. Sleeping. Yeah, I'm whispering because my grandbaby is asleep. All right, so we do burn a certain number of calories each day, but many things can affect hunger and metabolism. That's why I have the calories in, calories out game, that free document and video series for you. But the bottom line is exact same calories, exact same energy expenditure. Two groups, they had been losing the same, divided them out. See how, see how effective this study is. It was controlled. They had them doing the same thing for a period of time, monitored those results, then divided them in two, only changed one factor. Okay, yeah. You start to see the idea of how you can really uh, see how good research is and how robust it really is. All right, so decreased fat loss simply by sleeping uh, less. All right, sleep deprivation leads to weight gain. Research shows that adults who sleep six hours or fewer per night tend to gain more weight than those who sleep seven to nine. It's important to note that this is especially strong in children. We really need to get make sure our children are getting their sleep. They're going to be more snacky. They're going to want higher carby. Um, I won't say higher carby because I want to get away from that terminology. They're going to want more calorie-dense foods more junk food, more processed foods, more packaged foods. Uh, they're going to eat more. They're going to, they're, they're even more affected by this than adults are. All right, research shows a 55% reduction in fat loss for sleep-deprived people. 
So if you've been doing all the stuff, and I, I mean all of the stuff, like really, really working hard, and you are still not losing uh, weight, then it really could be your sleep. Uh, insulin sensitivity is lowered. I already talked about that. There's a high link, of course, to insulin resistance. That's the opposite of sensitivity. Sensitivity means we're sensitive to insulin. We feel its effects. Our body responds, and it shuttles the glucose where it needs to go, and we don't need so much more insulin to make it happen. Insulin uh, resistance means we're resisting insulin, so the body has to keep releasing more and more and more to get everything where it needs to go. All right, and there's a high link to obesity and insulin resistance because um, the more insulin we tell our bodies to release, the more it's going to store fat instead of letting us burn it. So less sleep means more insulin resistance. 30% drop in insulin sensitivity after four days of sleep deprivation. You know, those of us who are intermittent fasters, we're fasting for, in part, for that insulin sensitivity. We're fasting in part so that we can um, keep the insulin low during the fast so our body can burn its own fat. Here we are staying up to hours of the night, not sleeping well, not controlling our sleep behaviors, and we're causing a, a potential 30% drop in insulin sensitivity. The very reason we're fasting so we're kind of working against ourselves in that. All right, more um, sleep uh, deprivation problems, all right. Um, chronic diseases, cardiovascular disease and diabetes. Now, this is, is really hard to, to evaluate because which came first, you know, you know, the sleep deprivation that led to obesity, that led to cardiovascular uh, problems or um, diabetes or whatever it might be, or, you know, sleep deprivation disease, you know, uh, obesity. So, you know, they're all so intertwined, but uh, sleep deprivation is shown to increase chronic diseases. More likely to have sleep apnea. And due to expanding the volume of soft tissues around the airway, that can interfere with breathing at night. So uh, quite frankly, a lot of times those of us who've had sleep problems, and I've had a lot of them when I was obese, um, we are just, we're fat all in here. And it's causing our airways to be closed, resulting in sleep apnea. It is amazing the things you can turn around with weight loss. I mean, you know, I'm not even at my goal, and I'm like, so many benefits from losing weight. All right, so uh, again, we have the raised cortisol levels. That's another problem that we have, um, and uh, studies show that we have an increased, that we can increase cortisol through the roof, even with only a one-hour sleep deficit. So you know how we always say, mommy's grouchy today, I didn't get enough sleep. Or, man, you must not have gotten enough sleep last night. Or, wow, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Come to find out it's real, <laughs> right? And it's scientifically proven. All right, so we definitely want to turn these things around. We definitely want to turn our sleep around and, um, and be sure that we are... Uh, 
that we're getting enough sleep and that we are, I'm losing my place here, sorry about that, that we are um, getting healthy, right, through sleep. But it's such a huge thing. Now, I've got a whole nother, another whole episode about the brain and the effects of sleep and the brain and effects on our food choices and our cravings and our appetite when we are sleep deprived. So be watching for that coming up. I'm not going to do three in a row about sleep because I just, I mean, I know I'm doing a lot of different things in here, but I want to be sure to separate those. So sleep today, the effects of it, huge effects, as you can see next week, what we can do about it. Tons of good tips that I found uh, that will really make a difference in our sleep. And then I'm going to go back and do some other things about metabolism and um, cravings and uh, trigger foods, all kinds of interesting things. And then I'll come back to the brain and sleep. So anyway, I really appreciate you being with me today. I am going to turn to my Plexus commercial. So feel free to stay along and learn more. Today's product is going to be our magnesium supplement because that's one of the things I'm going to talk about next week is the huge effect that magnesium can have on your sleep. So um, I'm going to talk about our magnesium product here today. So thank you again for joining me. Stay tuned if you want to learn about Plexus BioCleanse. I'll see you in the next video. Hi again. All right, BioCleanse, Plexus BioCleanse. As you know, I'm a Plexus ambassador, and that means I am a hope dealer. So I like to spread hope through intermittent fasting, through weight management, through health, through healthier cooking um, at my blog, DonnaReach.com, um, through my webinar, through my course, all kinds of places, and through uh, the distribution of plant based supplementation. So Plexus only has about 20 products um, and they are all plant-based and they are all natural and we uh, have these plant-based products that are usually multi-ingredient so you know instead of getting like five different adaptogens you can just get our MetaBurn and it has all five it has five adaptogens all built into it so that's nice because it uh, is we need fewer products that way you know that's one reason that Plexus really appealed to me when I was adding um, some uh, products to my blog is because there were so few of them I don't want a line of you know 50 or 80 or 100 things and of course, the effectiveness of them once I started using them myself, that was a huge impact too. Um, but then also, um, it is the way they're put together. So the products, the ingredients are put together in such a way to cause a certain outcome. So BioCleanse is one of those products and it, uh, its name is a little misleading. So I want to warn you, first of all, that its name cleanse does not mean that you spend a lot of time on the toilet. All right. People think of cleanses because of the nature of cleanses, you know, in social media and things like that. I'm doing a cleanse. I'm on a juice cleanse. I'm doing this cleanse. And we think we're going to clean ourselves all out once and for all. And that's not the way BioCleanse is. BioCleanse is a daily magnesium supplement. It has a lot of other benefits and some other ingredients, but its primary ingredient is magnesium. And, you know, there's all kinds of data out there. You know, 80% of people are deficient in magnesium. You know, uh, magnesium is the mineral that we are the most deficient in of all minerals. And, and you know, different, different research says different things. 
But the bottom line is that people are really, really deficient in magnesium. And we see this um, as a, in a lot of ways like depression, not that magnesium is the only thing that affects depression, but in depression, in chronic pain, inflammation, um, uh, constipation, you know, people do not realize that, you know, if you eat twice a day, if you're an intermittent faster, you should be having two bowel movements a day. You should be regular. It shouldn't be something where you wait every third or fourth day to have a stool. You should be continually cleaning out. And that is part of disease prevention. It is part of a uh, healthy gut. It is part of, um, you know, cleaning out your digestive system uh, so that you can hear your uh, hunger signals and satiety signals and that your digestive system is cleaned out to hear, um, to communicate to your brain. I mean, there's just so much going on in the whole digestive process. A lot of people who have a lot of cramping, um, for me, I know it was restless leg syndrome. I also had TMJ really badly and I used to wear a um, mouthpiece at night. Um, anyway, my husband and I went off of every medication and um, including insomnia medication, including restless leg medication, including GERD medication, um, all of these things when we went on Plexus products. Um, his, he went off of blood pressure medicine. I mean, just I got rid of my mouthpiece. No, no more TMJ ever. Um, so anyway, a lot of really cool things happen during healthy supplementation. So these plant-based products, again, uh, BioCleanse has vitamin C. It has magnesium in the form of magnesium hydroxide. It has sodium in the form of sodium bicarbonate. It has a bioflavonoid complex of orange peel, lemon peel, and quince fruit. And it is in a vegetarian capsule. And um, it is non-GMO, uh, um, uh, vegetarian, um, uh, non-flavored, non-caloric. Uh, so you can... The dose of it is based on what you need, but as you'll learn next week about magnesium in general, a lot of people need magnesium before bed. So I personally take my magnesium supplement, my BioCleanse, I take two in the morning and two at night and um, with my probiotic. And that way I get a really good night's sleep and also with my um, uh, uh, Mega X, my... Um, uh, uh, my, ah, lost my train of thought there. Anyway, I take those at night so that they help me sleep. All right, the benefits of BioCleanse, they help to cleanse the gastrointestinal tract uh, naturally and daily, so not a big gush of cleansement, but rather a daily bowel movement. They reduce, BioCleanse reduces gas, bloating, and discomfort. It helps promote regularity, again, in the bathroom, and it helps remove harmful microbes and substances. It relieves occasional constipation. It oxygenizes the blood. So there is going to be, and a lot of times people who are deficient in magnesium will be lethargic. And so uh, the oxygenizing power of BioCleanse helps to oxygenize the blood, reduces inflammation and pain. Um, it's helped my husband a lot with his knee issues uh, and um, re has reduced his inflammation. Inflammation, you know, can be anywhere. So we can have inflammation all throughout our body and it's going to reduce inflammation everywhere, not just in the gut. So that is BioCleanse. It is part of our triplex system. And uh, so every day we have a three-pronged uh, three approach. Our Slim, which is our pink drink, energy, um, gut health, uh, chromium, 
uh, um, uh, helps with appetite, definitely helps with cravings. That's our pink drink. Our BioCleanse, which is this product, and then our ProBio5. So that's called Triplex, and I would love to help you get started on it and get on your way to health. And we have groups where we teach uh, specifically about the products, and I would love to help you with that too. So we also send out free samples of Plexus Slim. So contact us if you'd like to try that, and we'll get that out to you. Thanks again for joining me on the effects of sleep, inadequate sleep or uh, adequate sleep. And uh, for episode uh, 40 of uh, Donna Risha's um, Intermittent Fasting Broadcasts.